Would you take your Bible, turn to the book of John chapter 17. We'll be in John chapter 17, beginning in verse 6 here in a moment. As I was thinking about the families, this parent-child dedication, other than my salvation and the gift of Jesus Christ, I believe the greatest gift that God can give a person are a pair of godly parents. I think of all the things in my life that have had the greatest impact, it was the fact that my mom and dad raised me to follow Jesus Christ. That's the greatest gift, I believe. And that's the greatest gift I think that I can give my children is to introduce them to Jesus. The Bible talks about someone giving their life to Christ and says that they are born again. That spiritually, we are babies when we give our life to Christ. But you know, it would be a tragedy if a physical baby was left alone without anybody to take care of them. And it would also be a tragedy if a spiritual baby was left alone with nobody to take care of them. We find that Jesus is about to leave his spiritual babies He is concerned that they may not have anybody take care of them. And in his prayer, he hands over that responsibility to Almighty God. But what we find here is an encouragement and something to be thankful for, that we have a heavenly Father that is going to take care of us and provide for us and protect us. I've entitled the message, Enjoying His Protection, and I want to show you what I mean by that in this passage of Scripture. Are you there? John chapter 17, beginning in verse 6. Jesus is praying, the disciples are listening, and Jesus prays this to the Father. I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, because they're yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I'm glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, I'm praying that you protect them by your name. The first thing I want you to note in the text is this. We have something to be protected by. We have something to be protected by. In other words, we have someone to protect us. Now, uh, we see that Jesus is referring to a particular group of people. In verse 6, he says, I I have revealed your name to the people you gave me. It's important to note this word give. It could refer to giving something to somebody. I'm going to give you something. It has now become yours. However, that word is used in multiple different ways, one of which is I'm going to give you something to do. I'm going to appoint you to a task. Another thing it might be is I'm going to give you something that belongs to me for safekeeping. I'm going to entrust this to you. So if I were to give you my passport... Does that ever really become your passport? No, it will never be. Your picture's not there. Your name's not there. Your information is not there. I can give that to you, but it doesn't become yours. I am merely entrusting it to you for safekeeping. 
That is what's happening here. Uh, God's got these folks, and he has entrusted them to Jesus. Now, exactly how does that work? Who are these people that are entrusted to Jesus? Let me give you a principle of biblical study. Uh, We find many different human authors throughout Scripture, and they will use terms and phrases in different ways. But typically, a single author will use a phrase and a term similarly throughout their writing. So when you are confused about, for instance, who are the ones given to Jesus and appointed and entrusted to him, then it would help if John, the writer of this gospel, wrote about that somewhere else. And so when you look through scripture, you find that he does write about that somewhere else, and it's in John chapter 6. So if you want, you can turn your Bibles to John chapter 6. It'll be on the screen as well. And let's walk through verse 35 through 40 to try to discern who these people are that the Father has entrusted to the Son. John chapter 6, verse 35. It reads this, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Now, let me pause. Let me ask you a question. Is he talking about two different groups? Let me read that again. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will be thirsty again. You have some coming to him. You have some believing in him. Are those different groups? You're like, I don't know if I want to answer this one. Ah. No, he's talking about the same group just in two different ways. Those who come to him, not going to hunger, those who believe it. So those who come to Jesus, and the word is erkomai, they are equal to and they are describing those who have heard about Jesus and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Those are the ones who come to Jesus, erkomai to Jesus. Let's keep reading, verse 36. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. Now, hit pause for a moment. What are we saying here? Uh, those who the Father gives me, he gives them, it, think, it says, they'll come to me. Those that come to me, I will never cast out. I will give them, they won't be hungry again, they'll be thirsty again, I'll give them eternal life. Now, uh, here's a nuance to this passage. The word come in English is used twice in this verse. However, the same English word is used to translate two different Greek words. One is erkomai. Erkomai emphasizes the, either the initial or the ongoing process of moving, of coming, of going. So if you use erkomai, it can talk about the beginning of the journey or it can talk about the process of the journey. However, the first word come is the word echo and echo always means the end of the journey. And so translating it come is great. But what he's emphasizing here is not the beginning or the process of coming to Christ. It is talking about the end result of coming to Christ. In other words, let's use the word arrive because that's the end result of coming. And so you might read that passage this way. And you say, everyone the Father gives me will arrive to me. In other words, they will make it to the end. Everyone that he assigns to me, everyone that he entrusts with me, I will take care of and they will make it to the end. How is that possible? Well, he says, all those who come to me, and remember, those who come to Jesus are equated with whom? 
those who believe in him, all who believe in me, it says, I will not cast out. Here is how they make it to the end. Here's how they arrive when they come to Jesus. Jesus takes them and takes them the rest of the way. You say, well, why does he do that? We'll keep reading the passage. He says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of those he has entrusted to me, given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought verse 39 was the will of the Father. Now he's saying verse 40 is the will of the Father. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Well, let me ask you a question. Which is the will of God? Which one will he see to the end? The one that God entrusts to him or the one that believes in him? Yes. You say, Brother James, you are confusing me. Okay, let me summarize what we just said. Are you ready? When someone gives their life to Christ, God entrusts them to Jesus for Jesus to work in their life, to protect them and to provide for them, and to make sure that they make it to the end. Should I say that again? <laughs> when you hear about Jesus and you give your life to Jesus Christ, God entrusts you to Jesus for Jesus to see you to the end. When he's talking about those that are entrusted to me, he is referring to his responsibility to work in our lives to get us to the end. Go back to John chapter 17. Here is how Jesus did that. Notice his actions in these verses. Verse 6, he says, I have revealed your name to those you've entrusted me. Part of fulfilling that is to make manifest and reveal the name of God. Does that mean that he's just telling him, telling them his name? Hey, here's God's name. No, no. The name of God was his reputation, his expectation, his holiness, his teaching all wrapped up into one. We know that because if you look in verse 7, it says, Now they know that everything you have given me is from you because I have given them the words you gave me. The way that Jesus revealed God was by teaching the word of God. Do you know how you can know who God is today? His word. You want to know who God is? Open up the Bible. That's where he is. Right here. And so the word of God was being communicated. This is how he was getting them to the end, by communicating the word to them. But they also had a part to play because notice what it says at the end of verse 6. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. They have obeyed your word. Keep reading. Look in verse 8. Because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. They heard his word. They believed his word. They believed he was sent from God. They believed he was sent for a mission. They trusted in him. Then in verse 9, I pray for them. Well, why is he praying for them? They belonged to God. They were his already. They, God had entrusted them to Jesus, but they were still his. And he says in verse 11, I am no longer in the world. Now, was he gone yet? 
No, but it was about to happen so much so he could speak as though it had happened. I am about to leave. They're still going to be in the world. I'm coming to you and somebody has got to protect them and take care of them. And so he entrusts them, gives them back to the Father. And we know from later that God does fulfill this prayer. He does answer this prayer because the Bible says that when we give our heart and life to Jesus Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit seals us for that day. We are ensured salvation, not because of what we have done, but because what he has done for us. There's a practice among NFL quarterbacks that at the end of the season, they will give their offensive linemen presents. Have you heard about this? Uh, Trevor Lawrence, Jacksonville, they said this year he gave all of his offensive linemen uh, some personalized golf carts. Had rims and radios and all kind of cool stuff on it. That's a pretty cool gift. Uh, I I think that... uh, I think that Derek Carr kind of wins the gifts to offensive linemen. Remember, these are offensive linemen. He gave them all fancy cooking grills and an ice chest full of steaks. Look, y'all may not be over 300 pounds, but I tell you, if you're over 300 pounds and you're a big offensive lineman, uh, steaks are your friend, okay? And so that's what he gave them. Why did they do that? Because they were thanking them for protecting them. You see, a quarterback, he needs some help. A quarterback will step back, and he's going to try to throw the ball or whatever, and, and there are some guys coming after him, and he's got some linemen, and they have a job. Their job's not to catch the ball, not to run the ball. Uh, their job's not to tackle anybody, although they have to do that sometimes. Their job is to protect the quarterback. You think about uh, the quarterback is probably the most important position in football. Uh, do you know what I think the second most important position is? It's the left tackle on most teams. Why? The left tackle is going to protect the blind side of the quarterback when he steps back to throw. And so they will pay the most for a left tackle. They will put the best player at left tackle, unless it's a left-handed quarterback, it's a right tackle, I know. But they will take care, protect the blind side. Why? Because they got to keep the quarterback protected. Think about this for a moment. Let's say that you're a quarterback. Let's say that you're going to play quarterback and you have absolutely no confidence in your offensive line that they're ever going to protect you and you step back to throw the ball what do you end up doing running for your life is what you end up doing because at the end of the day i would rather not have a broken neck than throw a touchdown pass so they are running for their life if there's no one to protect them listen to what the bible says about jesus and about you Romans 8, 38, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor debt, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Nothing can separate us. What's included in the word nothing? Everything is included in the word nothing. Nothing can separate you from God. There are some out there that will teach and preach that someone can give their life to Christ and then they can lose their salvation. So what you do is you hear about the gospel, you hear that you're a sinner and you give your life to Jesus and he saves you and then you go and you start living in sin 
and because of that sin, you no longer have your salvation anymore, and the next time you come to church, you, you better get saved again. And uh, what ends up happening is, folks in that church and, and in that preaching, under that preaching, uh, they end up just getting saved all the time. Because, I mean, let's be honest, uh, even now, and once you leave this, uh, all Christians sin every day. You may say, no, wait a minute, preacher, uh, you ain't talking about me. Yes, I am. All Christians sin every day. If our salvation, if our perseverance to the end was up to our performance once we got saved, we would all be doomed. Think about it for a minute. If you're not confident in your salvation, and confident that the God of heaven is going to see you to the end. If you're not confident in that, you would always, always be trying to survive. You would always be running around. You would always be nervous. You, would, you wouldn't be able to do it. You would always have doubt in your life all of the time. And every time anybody ever came to church, you'd be getting saved again, baptized again, over and over and over again. No, my friend, Jesus was crucified once. You are born again once. You trust in Jesus once. He saves you once, and you have someone who will protect you and will see you to the end. When someone says you have to give your life to Jesus and then you got to live a perfect life to make it, what they're saying is it is Jesus plus your ability. No, my friends, when you give your life to Jesus, you're telling him, here's my life. You're going to have to take care of it from here. By the way, if someone says Jesus plus anything else, Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus church attendance, Jesus plus not sinning, Jesus plus fill in the blank. If it's Jesus plus anything else, it is not a biblical gospel. It is a false gospel. And if you're going to a church like that, you need to come to First Baptist Lafayette. Because that is not a biblical gospel. And if they're wrong about that, they're going to be wrong about a whole lot of other stuff. Before we move on, I want to get it in your brain. You have someone who is protecting you and taking care of you and will see you to the end. Why is that a big deal? Number next, number two. Not only do we have something to be protected by, but we have something to be protected from. We have something to be protected from. Look there in verse 12. Well, excuse me, let me go back. Verse 11. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm come to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. You can write this down. We need protection from ourselves. They needed protection from themselves. There was a need for unity. Unity is when everyone has the same goal and same priority and same purpose and are all pulling in the same direction. Uh, I've heard this from a preacher before, and I kind of like it, and I'll share it with you. If you love Jesus, and I love Jesus, and we love one another, there's not much the devil can do. Y'all aren't writing that down. I guess it wasn't as impactful as I thought it might be. 
If we're unified, then, man, we're going to honor God, and God wants to maintain that unity. But why is there danger in unity? It's because we have selfishness in our life. And here's what happens. You've got a group of people pulling the same direction, and then one person says, you know what? I don't like this direction. I'm going to set my own direction. And in their selfishness, maybe it's to protect their sin. Maybe they don't want to humble themselves to follow the Lord. Uh, It's a whole host of reasons, but they say, you know what? I'm going to go on my own. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do whatever I want. And they deviate from the group. Now there's no longer synergy, no longer unity. And what happens when one person within a group starts doing their own thing? Well, they don't stay by themselves very long. Why not? Because they start doing this and they start talking to other people in the group. And the temptation is, well, he's my friend. She's my friend. I'm going to jump in with that. And before long, you have whispering conversations in the hallways and they get to gossiping again. Now, I know this doesn't happen at First Baptist Lafayette. Okay, don't don't, don't, if you're new here, that doesn't happen here, okay? But what ends up happening is those who are genuinely saved and following Christ will end up having, not that they lose their salvation, can't lose it, but you can lose the impact of it in life. Here's an example of that. Look back in the passage of, of Scripture there. He says, verse 12, while I was with them, I was protecting them by your name so that you've, that you've given me. I guarded them and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction so that scripture may be fulfilled. Judas Iscariot was one of the 12. He identified with them on the outside, yet on the inside, he was satanic. Uh, it says that he was filled by Satan, that he betrayed Christ, uh, that he fell away. On the outside, he looked like he belonged to the group. On the outside, he looked like he was entrusted to Jesus. On the outside, it appears as though maybe he lost his salvation and Jesus failed to keep him. But that is not what happened because from the very beginning, even though he said all the right things on the outside, he did all the good things on the outside, he in fact was a devil from the beginning. And on the outside, he belonged, but on the inside, he did not. The Bible says that's true of the church as well. The Bible talks about a parable of wheat and tares. says, here's the wheat. It's legitimate believers that are in the church. The devil came in and he sowed weeds among the wheat. And the weeds grew up. You couldn't really tell the difference until they got mature and older. And after time, you realize those folks are wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, what happens when one person deviates and does their own thing? It impacts others. Do you remember the story of Mary when she's anointing Jesus with the oil and she wipes, him off, wipes his feet off with her hair? Do you remember that story? And it says that the disciples were grumbling about that because it was wasted money. Do you remember the story? Y'all don't remember the story. You got to remember the story. Y'all got to help me out. I need to know you're awake, alive, something. Y'all remember the story? Who was the spokesman for the disciples that were grumbling about that? Judas Iscariot. Judas was negatively impacting everybody else in the group. But notice that Jesus protected them from his negative influence. He was the only one that left in accordance with Scripture. But the issue was not that he lost salvation. It was that he was never saved to begin with. You see, we need protection from ourselves. We need protection from the dangers that are within Because there are folks, even in this church, I don't know their names. I can't point them them out. But they will discourage you from following Jesus as you should. And he will protect you from them. Not only is it protection from themselves, but it's protection from the world. Protection from the world. Notice what it says in verse 13. Now I'm coming to you, and I speak these things in the world. 
so that they may have my joy completed in them, so they can fulfill it and get to the end. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now, it says in verse 15, I'm sorry, and I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So uh, you have here the world. Who's the world? Well, the world is unsaved humanity. Everybody that has not been saved. In fact, these disciples were called out of the world. They were lost and they were called out of the world. They got saved, no longer part of the world. And the world does not like something that doesn't belong to them. And so the natural response of the world is to persecute believers. Now, we have a great context here. We don't have heavy persecution like that. But there are people right now who are dying all over the globe because they name the name of Jesus. Even Christmas Day, we saw uh, in Africa a whole host of folks who were killed. Why? Because they named the name of Jesus. And so the world will do that. They will persecute you. Now, notice he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you to protect them in the midst of it. He's not asking God to keep you from pain and persecution and discouragement. He doesn't say keep them from encountering those things. What he's praying is that in the midst of those things, they maintain their strength and they maintain their witness and they maintain their perseverance. He's not saying keep them from danger. He is saying keep them through danger. And let me tell you this, as a follower of Christ, There is nothing you will experience in this life that Jesus will not and cannot get you through. There is nothing. Now, you may face it. It may be painful. It may be tough. But Jesus has promised to get you through. Let me show you the last one. Not only do we have this danger within, danger without, but a danger from above, protection from the evil one. Notice what it says. Uh, In verse 15, I'm not praying you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Who is that? Well, that is Satan. Why do we need protection from him? The book of James, James writes that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Who is it he's seeking to devour? You, believers. He's looking for those who are sick. He's looking for those who are isolated. He's looking for those that are kind of walking his direction. And he's looking to devour. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He can't take you out of heaven. But what he can do is keep you from bringing anybody else there. He will wipe out your witness and your testimony. And so we're protected from Satan. Now, why does a quarterback need protection? Well, let's think about who's on the other side of the ball. On the other side of the ball, you have men in the prime of life, Hardly any of them less than 6'2", 6'3". Most of those men that are closest to the quarterback weigh over 300 pounds. Straight up muscle. They can run 40-yard dash in less than five seconds. What? Beasts. Monsters. And they're angry on top of that. They get in a sprinter's pose. And they are paid to do one thing, wipe out the quarterback. That's all they're paid to do, go get him. They get in a sprinter's pose. They, as soon as they say hut, they take off full speed, trying to do one thing, get to the quarterback. And when they get there, they want to do something violent to the quarterback. Tell me the quarterback does not need protection from that. That's what's coming at them. 
Listen, my friend, as scary as the NFL defensive lineman is, it is scarier to face the dangers within. It is scarier to face the dangers without. It is scarier to face the dangers above. And you and I left on our own without any protection are going to falter and to fail. We need the power of God. And thank God for the truth where it says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Because it doesn't matter what comes against you, you are protected by him. We have something to be protected from, but thirdly, we have something to be protected for. Look in verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. What's he talking about here? Well, uh, in the Old Testament, the way they worshiped was through the temple and through a sacrificial system. They would sacrifice animals for different things. Uh, They would make offerings of wheat and grain. They had some drink offerings where they would pour a drink out before the Lord. Uh, And all of that required priests to help in that process. It also required furniture. They had an altar. They had a big basin with cleaning water. They they had tables for the bread. They had uh, candelabras everywhere. They also had utensils that they used. They had forks and spoons and, and different things that they used. And all of the utensils and all of the furniture and all of the priests had to be prepared to serve in the temple. And the way that they would do that is they had washings that they would do, ritualistic washings, where they would wash the different utensils and the different pieces of furniture and the people would the priests would go through those washings in order to make them available and and allow them to be able to serve in that way. And the, the word that was used to describe the washing is the word sanctify. They were sanctify. The word means to make holy, but it's beyond making holy. It's not make them holy for holiness sake. It is to make them holy so that they can be used by God. Why is he praying that they be sanctified? Because in verse 18, they have a job to do. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. We have a mission and a calling to take the good news of Jesus to the world, and we can't do that if we're not protected, if we're not sanctified. And so we are to be sanctified by the truth. The word is truth. It's through the message of the word of God. And it's an example in verse 19 of Jesus sanctifying himself for them going to the cross so that they might be sanctified. You think about this for a moment. NFL quarterback has a job to do. What is his job? His job is to get the football into the hands of the playmakers. All right. Uh, his job is to get the ball to the running back. His job is to get the ball to the wide receiver, to the tight end, to the whoever. His, his job is to get the ball to the playmakers. His job is not avoiding the pass rush. That's not his job. Now he has to do that, but that's not his job. His job is to get the ball to the playmakers. Now, is there a pass rush? Absolutely there is. But somebody else has the job of stopping the pass rush. That's the offensive line. If the offensive line does not do their job, the quarterback can't do his job. And so, you and I have been given a job to go tell people about Jesus. 
If we don't have someone protecting us, we can't do our job because all we're going to do is try to protect ourselves. But that's why God has given us that protection, that sanctification. That's why he is doing his work, not so that we can sit back in the lazy boy and enjoy our Christian life, but so that we can get to work to do what he has called us to do. There is a purpose behind his protection. It is not to give us comfort in this life. It is not to just get us along. We can kick back and enjoy being a Christian. It is so that we can focus on the things that only we can do. He does what he can do so that we do what we can do, which is our job to reach people for Jesus. Let me close with this passage. John chapter 10, verse 27 through 30 says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. My sheep hear my voice. It's in the present tense. It's a characteristic of his sheep. It's not how they become his sheep. They become his sheep when they give their life to Jesus. But once they give their life to Jesus, one of the main characteristics is when they hear him speak, they respond. And as they respond, we see that one of the benefits of being one of his sheep is that we are in the hands of God and nothing can take us out. My friends, we are not left alone to live this life. But instead, we have the power and protection of Almighty God. And instead of having our head on a swivel trying to figure it all out, let's just trust Him to do His job and we do our job. Now, part of all of this, we have a responsibility to play. He protected us as he communicated his word. He sanctifies us as he communicates his word. But all of that is for naught if we do not respond with obedience to his word. Now I know I've talked about protection, etc. And I know the Holy Spirit of God has been working on your heart. We asked him to speak. What's he saying to you? What's he calling you to do? What's he put on your heart? You live within that protection as you respond to his word. What's he calling you to do? Would you bow your heads and hearts with me for a moment? The quietness of your heart, between your your heart and God's, take a moment thank him for the protection that he affords you thank him for taking on all of those dangers we talked about thank him for that gift but if he's speaking to you today respond to whatever it is he's telling you You know, you you don't have this benefit if you're not one of his sheep and you're not one of his sheep if you've never given your life to Christ. It may be today you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. It may be he's providing this protection, but because of your rebellion against God, you've stepped out of that protection for whatever reason and you are bringing undue stress on your life. Step back into that protection and trust him. Maybe he's calling you to take a step today. Make a public profession of faith today. Join this church today. 
Surrender to the call to serve or minister today. Whatever that is, you respond. Father, our hearts belong to you. We surrender to you. Lord, let us respond with obedience. I pray this in Jesus' name.